Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find out about the Nobel Prizes for Chemistry for 2016. And often the prize goes to research that becomes fundamental for a variety of fields done over a very long period of time. And that's exactly what's done in 2016 as we find out about ways to build a nanomachine toolbox out of molecules. In the last couple of weeks, we've been covering the Ig Nobel Prizes, which of course are a parody of the much more venerable and famous Nobel Prizes. Started in November 1895 by Alfred Nobel, which in his last will and testament basically said the most of his fortune should be set up to establishing a series of prizes in physics, chemistry, physiology or medicine, literature and peace. And ever since then, uh, they've been awarding prizes for outstanding achievements in a variety of fields. Overall, about 573 different prizes have been awarded over the years between 1901 and 2015. And in general, these have gone to around 900 Nobel laureates, which is great. However, there still is a disappointing lack of recognitions of the amazing contributions of to science and other fields by women. So that number can be improved in terms of gender equity. But this week, we're going to be focusing on the award winners for 2016 in two fields, physics and chemistry, because we had some outstanding insights into some new and unusual parts of our universe which were very much worthy of recognition. Last year, you may remember that in chemistry, the Nobel Prize for 2015 was awarded for DNA repair mechanisms and why it enabled life to be stable. And this year, we took a different turn and looked at, basically, the concept of nanomachines. And it's awarded to three people, and we're going to find out about their work for the design and synthesis of molecular machines. Now, before we get into the details of the actual science underpinning the awarding of the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for 2016, we're going to focus on the three people that it's shared between. The first is Jean-Pierre Sauvage, who was born in 1944 in Paris and received his PhD from the University of Strasbourg in France and is now the Professor Emeritus at the University of Strasbourg and the Director of Research Emeritus at the National Centre for Scientific Research, the CNRS in France. There's also... Sir J. Fraser Stoddart, born in 1942 in Edinburgh, who worked with the University of Edinburgh both for his PhD and continuing research, and now serves as the Board of Trustees Professor at Chemistry at Northwestern University in Illinois in the United States. And finally, Bernard L. Faringe, who was born in 1951 in the Barga-Caspian area of the Netherlands, and he got his PhD in 1978 from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. He's a Professor of Organic Chemistry at the University of or Grogigan in the Netherlands at the moment. And these three gentlemen working together on the same field helped uncover something about the way in which we can make molecules into machines. And though this is not necessarily groundbreaking research, the basis of this work was done a while ago, has now actually been recognised and formalised to give its place in scientific history. 
How small is small is a really interesting question. When you think about it fundamentally, the word atom comes from the very concept from the ancient Greek philosophers thinking about atmos, the smallest possible division or building block. And that turned out to be a pretty useful definition and structure until obviously we broke down the atom into layers and layers and layers beyond that. And even people from a variety of fields, and even more recently, such as Richard Feynman in the 1950s, wondered if it was possible to make machines that functioned at that scale, who made a prediction in 1950 and 1984, again, about how you could make a machine with movable parts, which are very, very tiny. And look, the whole idea there was to try and build something. At the nanometer scale, so we're talking incredibly small, almost the scale of fundamental particles themselves. And you could do it similarly like the way in which uh, bacteria's sort of flagella tail works. And that was the whole concept that he said, hey, this would be cool if we could do it. I don't know how, but, you know, let's try and go for it. And Feynman, along as many others, sort of thought it was possible. But it was, of course, going to require a lot of work to do so. Of course, you need to make a machine at that size. So to make a nanomachine, first you need to get tools to work on a nanoscale. It's, it, imagine trying to assemble uh, a very, very small, intricate piece of Lego whilst wearing boxing gloves. You know, it, it, your tools aren't to the scale of what you're working with. It's not easy to actually construct it. So actually even making the tools was the first problem that needed to be solved. And that was always our limiting factor. Throw in the ability to actually see at that scale was also a challenge. So these two areas were challenges that need to be addressed. Now, Feynman was an engineer, and a lot of other engineers would think about problems through that lens, building a physical machine. But the solution ended up coming from a completely different area, including some of the work done by Jean-Pierre Sauvage in the mid-20th century. Now, at this point in time, chemists were starting to experiment with making really, really long interlinked chains of molecules, advanced molecules. And instead of just relying on covalent bonds, which is the typical bonding mechanism between electrons in these long carbon chains, for example, they wanted to make mechanical interlock bonds, where the atoms were directly interlocking with each other. And in the 50s and 60s, people were actually starting to, to try and get to do this. Um, but it was more, you know, curiosity than actual serious chemistry. Um, but by 1983, using an ordinary copper iron, a French research group led by the chemist Jean-Pierre Sauvage actually managed to interlock the molecules themselves mechanically, more than just the actual traditional covalent bonding method. Now, Jean-Pierre Sauvage's background was in photochemistry, and when chemists develop molecular complexes, sometimes they do it to catch the sun's energy, and they use that to drive chemical reactions. And he basically saw these photochemical interactions and tried to mimic it and so he took a central copper ion and he formed a molecule chain around it and then interacted with another copper ion chain basically making an interlocking ring chain mechanism so first you sort of take a copper ion on its own and get a molecular chain around it and then you the copper ion itself continues to attract and gather other molecules a second and a third and then you remove the copper iron and then what you've done is you've 
created these two linked segments of chain now with the linking proponent, the copper ion, gone. And that's, that was quite impressive and fantastic in 1983 when it was done. Now, that sort of really helped launch the concept of topological chemistry back into the forefront, where you use often metal ions to create really, really complex interlock structures, three-ringed, Olympic-style ringed, or just interlocking paper clips, very different types of knotting methods. And, you know, that might seem <laughs> pretty and nice, but it's the fundamental building block for other work. Now, these metal, these molecular interlocks are called catenase, from the Latin word for chain, catena. And it was not just a new class of molecule, but it was the first step to build the machine. It was a building block from which you could build stuff out of. And the basis of a machine is interlocking parts that move in relation to each other. And in 1994, Jean-Pierre Sauvage's research group actually produced a canine structure, which when one ring rotated in a controlled manner, it did a revolution around another ring when energy was added. And that is like a non-biological molecular machine, which is fantastic. So let's call that part a of this building towards a solution of nanomachines. Another part was developed by J. Fraser Stoddart. chemistry because he could see it almost like being an artist sculpting new shapes and patterns out of ones that weren't there previously and in 1991 his research group actually performed an amazing task where they got a long rod or axle-like structure and they by placing different charged electron rich or electron poor ions in places what you would do is you would attract a ring and thread it onto the axle. Think about it like an automatic wheel just putting itself onto the axle. And they were doing that just using fundamental chemical processes. And this is done using a what they called a rotocassane, which is a ring-shaped molecule which can then be mechanically attached to an axle. So hey, you built a wheel on a molecular scale, and that is pretty incredible. More interestingly, when you added heat to the equation, that ring started to move up and down the axle. So now you have a, a slide mechanism. And by 1994, his research group had found a way to control the speed of that process through the injection of heat. And by 1994, he'd used these various structures and sort of building block to make a couple of small molecular machines, including a lift in 2004, which can raise itself about 0.7 nanometers above a surface, and even an artificial muscle in 2005 where the rotexanes bend around a very, very thin gold plate. So this is amazing sort of combination. And Jean-Pierre Sauvage also did something similar with, with rotexanes in the same area, trying to replicate the functions of a human muscle. But now we have another building block done. The last piece in the puzzle, I guess, is a motor that can continually spin in some direction, which we kind of need for fundamental machine purposes.
often a molecule when it spins, it sort of moves in a particular way based on its own random sort of occurrences. So to actually get it to stay in one stable rotation is quite difficult. And that is where Ben Feringa's work actually comes in. Because by using UV light and some methyl groups and different types of chemical components, you could actually get the thing to spin in a controlled direction. Much in the same way almost like a wind turbine blade, where the wind pushes on the part of the blade causing it to spin around, then obviously the wind stops and that particular segment of the blade catches the other blade and pulls itself around. Just doing that process, but using UV light and the energy transfer and chemical makeup change in the molecule itself, the tension and pull between the different methyl groups in the molecule. But obviously this kind of scale of machine was pretty slow and cumbersome to begin with in 1999. But by 2014, they could achieve speeds of 12 million revolutions per second, which is crazy. And in 2011 as well, they, they built what they called a four-wheel drive nano car, where they made a big molecular structure chassis. And then on the edges, on the axles, they had these little spinning blade groups, which could spin and propel the structure, the molecular car, across. Another impressive feats of achievements. They've also managed to uh, spin large, very large structures, at least on the chemical scale. So a 28 micrometer long glass cylinder, which is about a thousand times bigger than these little motors that we're talking about. Sorry, 10,000 times bigger. Uh, and they managed to make that whole long structure move through the use of these motors. And it showed the, a very, very powerful toolbox from which you can make amazing machines. And so if you think about it, between these three researchers, Jean-Pierre Sauvage, Francis Stoddart, and Ben Feringa, what they've actually created is a toolbox of a variety of different chemical and molecular constructs that can be used to make a lot of different machines. I know people nowadays are making a molecular robot that can grasp and connect amino acids, which is made in 2013 using the rotoxane as its foundation. Or maybe you're making really long polymer chains that form an integrate web or molecular motors that when exposed to light wind up and expand and contract like a real muscle. Basically, this artificial molecular systems toolbox has enabled chemistry to go in a completely amazingly different direction to the world of building biomachines on a molecular scale using great chemistry that we thought was otherwise wasn't really be useful. So the great part about this is that it's sort of taken the concepts we thought possible in the physical world and made them a reality in the chemical world and thus enabling us to make really, really impressive and useful bio-machines. So where were to next? Well, we don't know, but we have an amazing toolkit that will not limit our imaginations, that works at a pretty fundamentally small scale. And that is why the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 2016 has gone to Jean-Pierre Sauvage, Fraser Stoddart, and Ben Feringa for basically giving us a toolbox from which we can start work with on nanomachines. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Le Grange Point. This is it we found out about the manipulations of molecules has enabled us to create a toolbox, a kit, from which we can make fantastic nanomachines at a really, really small scale that do amazing tasks. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.